You know what's going on with this thing behind me here? And th this, this is all, um, Dan mentioned it, but I just think it bears repeating that this afternoon at five o'clock, there's an amazing uh, musical drama happening here. And um, if you don't come at five o'clock, uh, it's your loss. That's all I can say. It's gonna be great. And the kids of this church have been working hard on uh, putting together this, this great musical. And uh, even if you don't have kids or grandkids, these are all our kids, right? So come and support them this afternoon. A big crowd here would be really, really encouraging for them. I will never forget Christmas Eve, 1968. <laughs> I was all of 12 years old, and I was really hoping, I had asked over and over and over again, for a Schwinn Stingray bicycle for Christmas. Oh man, sweet ride. <laughs> my parents had been uh, very secretive. Every time I brought it up, they'd go, oh yeah, you know, those are really expensive. Don't know, no, I, I don't think you should get your hopes up. And I remember just being super curious on Christmas Eve. You know that feeling? Christmas Eve, you think something good might happen, but it might not, and you just can't get to sleep. You remember that? <laughs> so I thought, hey, I need to get to sleep. I need to sleep, because you know, everybody knows as soon as you fall asleep, it's, it's morning, you know, so the, the soonest way to get to morning is to fall asleep. So I thought, I know the best way to fall asleep and get drowsy, I'll read the Bible. Hey, it's Christmas Eve. I'll, I'll read about the birth of Jesus. Maybe that will lull me to sleep. Imagine my surprise when the opposite happened. Now, although I had attended Sunday school, to be honest, I had never opened the Bible all by myself. 12 years old, had not opened the Bible on my, all by myself. I'm, I'm admit it. Um, I, I had received a Bible in the third grade. Here it is. This is the one presented to John Mason, June 5th, 1966, Bellevue Presbyterian Church, signed by three people, including the pastor, who seemed to me to be really grumpy. <laughs> I, I hope I don't seem that way to our kids. <laughs> anyway, this had been a dust collector in my room for the last three years, and, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll just, it's Christmas Eve, I'll, I'll open to Matthew, because I knew Matthew is where I'll begin for Jesus, and I read Matthew, starting at Matthew 1, 1, and immediately was just snowed under by this long list of names. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and, Ju and I was like, What? This is really confusing. Now, since then, I have learned about what these names and what this all means, and someday we'll talk about that. But to a 12-year-old, I was like, when are the names in? Uh, verse 18. Oh, here we go. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. And I started to read, starting at verse 18, and I read about the birth of Jesus, and then I read about the account of the wise men in chapter 2, 
And then I read about the, the uh, Herod's, King Herod's slaughter of the innocent children. I couldn't believe it. Mary and Joseph and Jesus escaped to Egypt. My heart was kind of racing. And finally, they returned to Nazareth. I finished chapter two, and I was just enthralled by this story. 12 years old. Now, something strange happened to me that night, not just that I was fascinated and still not at all sleepy, but I have a feeling that many of you have had a similar experience to this. I felt that this book I was reading, really for the first time, was somehow calling to me. And it, and it had life in it. I mean, it didn't just make sense. It was, somehow was alive, and it was drawing me in. And I later learned that what I was experiencing was because of the truth that the Apostle Paul affirms in his letter to Timothy here in our text, verse 16, that all Scripture is inspired by God. Literally, that it is God-breathed, breathed into by God. And when we open this book of scriptures, we open ourselves to this amazing spirit, breath, life. And if, if you're a regular reader of scripture, uh, this is not a surprise to you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Just this last Thursday morning, the day I was to prepare this message, I always write my sermons on Thursdays, at least I try. Sometimes it doesn't happen. Uh, I always try, but um, it's Thursday morning, and I'm starting the day the way that I always um, do, I'm, um, but I'm thinking on Thursday morning, okay, I'm gonna write this sermon about the centrality and the authority, uh, the life of God's word. So I began my day on Thursday, as I almost always do these days, reading the revised common lectionary daily reading for the day. It's a three-year cycle of, of Bible readings that are just laid out for every day of the whole year. So it was May 16th. I opened up the readings, and I was amazed, but I was not surprised, to have two readings about our relationship with God's word on that day of all days. Ezekiel's chapter two and three and Revelation 10. In both these passages, there is a message from God that the, the writer was to eat the words of scripture. The words are in, in both of those passages in Ezekiel's two and three and in Revelation 10 are eat this book. Ever eaten a book? <laughs> Well, of course, this is a, a metaphor for uh, Ezekiel and the Apostle John, the writer of the Apocalypse, to, to take the scripture into themselves, take it in the way that you would eat. So here's my experience. And this, this has happened to me time and time again. When we open ourselves to what God wants to say through scriptures, the same way that we eat food, this, this kind of thing just happens. God speaks. There are connections. The Holy Spirit makes things come together, like dots being connected on that, you know, those dot-to-dot -dot puzzles. 
you know, you start, things start to take shape. And to me, this has happened over and over again. The exact thing I'm gonna be facing on that day pops up in my reading. And this is a schedule I'm following. I mean, it's somebody, it's somebody put it together, but it's for that day. It has happened to me over and over again. In this series that we're in this, this month, we're asking the question, why? Why do we do the things we do? as a community of faith. And here's a really big one. The fact that we seek to have the scriptures front and center in our life of worship, our life of devotion, our life of mission. Our Presbyterian book of order, the constitution of our denomination puts it this way, that quote, through scripture, proclamation and sacraments, God in Christ is presented by the Holy Spirit acting to transform, empower, and sustain human lives. That's a mouthful. But what the, the writers of our Constitution were, were putting front and center was that God's word plays a a role in our lives that keeps us going. And then it says this about our life of worship. In worship, the people of God hear the word proclaimed, receive the word enacted in sacrament, discover the word in the world, what theologians call general revelation, and then are sent to follow the word into the world. See, the word is at work in all of those areas. Now, do you see how this would, it would take a God-breathed scripture to do this? Static, dead, empty words on a page could never transform and empower and sustain human life. But the word of God can and does. There's power in scripture that through the Holy Spirit accomplishes this. And it's, it's for this reason, because of this power, that Dan and I were asked to vow our allegiance to God's word when we took our ordination vows. I remember taking those vows and I remember giving them to Dan. <laughs> that God's word will shape our obedience to Christ under the authority of scripture. The second vow of ordination for a minister of word and sacrament is exactly this. This is the question that we asked, answered. Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you? And we answered, Yes, absolutely. God speaks through these pages and his word carries authority. It is therefore appropriate to live in obedience to the word of God. So how does this work? I mean, what's it mean? Well, let's, let's, let's look back at the Apostle Paul for th some specifics about this. And I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna talk about every single aspect of him here, but I wanna just mention some. First of all, he says in verse 16, the scriptures are useful for, what's the first one? 
I hope you have it open in front of you. This teaching, yes, thank you. We live in an era in 2019, this has been growing since really the 1960s, but we live in an era, era when the prevailing winds of culture say that there is no authoritative teaching about life and how to live it. There is no authority. The postmodern approach to life eschews the concept of a, of a meta-narrative saying that there is, there is no such thing as an overarching truth. There just doesn't exist. I hope you're not buying into that. <laughs> I know of no better way of countering this dangerous trend than to get to know the way that God does things. To understand what is important to God. To learn the heart of God. The scriptures can teach you this. God is love, God is all mercy, God is full of grace. And, and these things you and I will see if we open ourselves to them in his word, if we immerse ourselves in this, his holy word daily, not just letting it collect dust, but as if we open it and read it, make it part of our lives. Now second, Paul says uh, next that it's useful for reproof and correction, or as the message translation puts it, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes. Now this amazing God-breathed living word has the ability to, to act like a mirror on your life. As you read, you begin to see yourself uh, differently. As you read things come to mind that, that you maybe didn't think of before, revealing the ways that we are out of line with God's will. Biblical scholar N.T. Wright puts it this way, sometimes this will lie plainly on the surface of our text. Other times, as we read a passage, we'll begin to hear the voice of God gently, or perhaps not so gently, telling us that the story, this story, applies to this area of our lives, or perhaps that one. And when that happens, as it may often do for those who read the Bible prayerfully, we do well to pay attention, end quote. So the scriptures have this ability to be able to turn us, if we're willing and listening, to redirect us, to point out the, the places where we're make, maybe making a misstep. But scripture is not all about this more negative work. It also has the ability to, to teach us and to transform us and to lead us into righteousness, which is the next thing Paul mentions, to improve us, to train us, basically, our ability to live our lives God's way. And this is one of the most beautiful aspects of living life as a disciple of Jesus. As you and I spend time prayerfully reading scripture, we simply become more like God. Not, not, not weirdly spiritual. I'm not talking about you know, being so heavenly minded that you're not of no earthly good. Um, not being otherworldly, but rather 
the more you spend time with God in the scriptures, the more you become the best version of yourself. More complete, richly human beings in our ability to reflect God's image. This is what happens when we spend time in scripture. But all of this, all of it, finally, says the apostle in verse 17, and this is, I think, this is so key. All of this has a purpose. It's so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Again, in the words of Eugene Peterson, through the word we're put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. Now, this isn't, this is not dabbling in Bible study so we can have the answers when, when theological questions come up or be the, you know, the Bible answer woman or Bible answer man. Such things are a breeding ground for the worst kinds of spiritual pride, religious hubris. It's, it's much more likely that spending time in scripture will develop in us humility and a servant's heart. Because the more you prayerfully read scripture, it's more likely you'll, you will encounter Jesus. I challenge you to read John chapter 13 and not come away feeling um, a bit more proud than you should be. This amazing account of the Son of God putting on the, uh, tying a towel around his waist like a slave and washing his friend's feet. The more you encounter Jesus, in scripture, the more you will likely come to the same realization that John the Baptist did, that he was in the presence of God himself. And so John the Baptist said these words, he must increase, but I must decrease. This is what happens when we put scripture first. God's word can make us ready and equipped for every good work, but it's a work that requires humility, poise, stillness, and this is my prayer for you and me. Let's pray. Lord, it's The, uh, the uh, image that comes to my mind over and over again this morning as I've been studying is that of Jesus. The image that Christian was talking about this morning, that he was rejected. He's the one who's the cornerstone and he was rejected. Father, I pray that you would help us to be more like Jesus, willing 
to do whatever it takes to bring glory to God. Not concerned about ourselves, not concerned about how we look, but willing to be cast aside for whatever you want. Oh God, I pray that you would humble us not in a uh, Uriah heap kind of false humility, but a true willingness to be all about Jesus. That's the desire of my heart, Lord. And I thank you that as we give ourselves to your word, that's exactly the direction you lead us in. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. The ushers would wait on us for the